Hello there. I'm Siobhan McClay, she, her. And I'm Jen Jackson, she, her. This is season two of Embodiment for the Rest of Us, a podcast series exploring topics within the intersections that exist in fat liberation. In this show, we interview professionals and those with lived experience alike to learn how they are affecting radical change and how we can all make this world a safer and more welcoming place for those living in larger bodies and those historically marginalized who should be centered, listened to, and supported. Captions and content warnings are provided in the show notes for each episode, including specific timestamps, so that you can skip triggering content anytime that feels supportive to you. This podcast is a representation of our co-host and guest experiences and may not be reflective of yours. These conversations are not medical advice and are not a substitute for mental health or nutrition support. In addition, the conversations held here are not exhaustive in scope or depth. These topics, these perspectives are not complete and are always in process. These are just highlights. Just like posts on social media or any other podcast, this is just a glimpse. We are always interested in any feedback on this process if something needs to be addressed. You can email us at listener, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, at embodimentfortherestofus.com. And now for today's episode. Welcome to episode four of season two of the Embodiment for the Rest of Us podcast. In today's episode, we interviewed the spacious and inviting human being, Chelsea Levy, she, her, about her embodiment journey and nuanced perspective on relational healing and dietetics from a social justice lens. Chelsea is a certified eating intuitive counselor and registered dietitian nutritionist. She earned her Master of Science from Hunter College and completed her dietetic internship at the City of New York CUNY School of Public Health. Chelsea utilizes health at every size, Hayes principles in her approach to nutrition therapy. She works with individuals struggling with disordered eating and eating disorders with a focus on weight inclusive medical nutrition therapy, body image healing, and intuitive eating. Chelsea has interest in treating individuals with diabetes and polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS, along with folks who are in larger bodies, those who are transgender or non-binary. She believes it is vital to provide care relevant to an individual's culture, ethnicity, and overall identities. Chelsea hosts a collaborative space for the exploration of food and body healing through creativity and compassion. Thank you so much for being here, listening, and holding space with us, dear listeners. And now for today's episode. This second season is so fun and so exciting. And that continues today with Chelsea Levy, she, her, who is joining us from Manhattan in New York City, someone whose deep compassion and relational perspectives inspire us immensely. There are so many things to explore together in conversation, and we're so glad you're here listening with us. Let's begin. So, Chelsea, how are you doing today? Hi, Karen. Hi, Siobhan. Hi. Hi. We're so excited you're here. (laughs) I'm so so happy to be here. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm feeling good. I will say... Like definitely burning the candle on both ends, but right in this moment, I'm feeling nourished, like energetically. I'm excited. I'm feeling creative and playful. Um, I'm 
hydrated and there's a fan next to me. And yeah, all that just started giving you a picture. (laughs) I love love it. And you have a Luna who's jumping on you and jumping away. Luna, the Chihuahua is here. She's making little panting sounds you might hear. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome Luna. Welcome Chelsea. (laughs) Thank you. Hi, great. As we start this conversation about being aware and awake in our bodies, I'd love to start with asking a centering question about the themes of our podcast and how they occur to you. Can you share with us what embodiment means to you and what has your embodiment journey been like, if you'd like to share? Yeah, before I get started with that, I just want to name that today I'm sort of trying on an experiment of Uh, Coming into this podcast with no preparation, no perfectionistic ideas, and just to caveat that there's nothing wrong with preparation, but um, in the act of feeling embodiment, I am trying to be as authentic with my thoughts and feelings uh, to bring it into this interview. So to answer your question, uh, on the shorthand, embodiment to me means being connected to the physical of the body. Um, And I guess more extensively, it's the levels of connection we have in our subtle energy fields, Um, emotion being one of them, emotion moves in our body through energy. Um, How connected are we to our, the way we relate to ourselves and others emotionally and energetically, how we feel about gravity, Um, in our body, in our state, um, sitting and standing and moving, breathing. Um, What does that feel like? How does that uh, relate to our mood? And um, I guess when I pull back even more, I think about the idea of sort of if, (laughs) this is just getting a little out there, but if the sun didn't, I mean, if the sun didn't exist, we wouldn't exist, but we are operating on gravity on this planet and time based on where we are in relation to the sun. And so, so much of what we think about is our our constructs. So just thinking about um, standards and, and society as we get into more conversation, it's just, these are all constructs. So coming back to um, the matter that is, carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, um, hydrogen, we are all made of the same things and we are all connected um, and we are not separate. And how attuned are we to that connection to me is about embodiment. That's what embodiment means to me. Um, Yeah. That's a really, Um, uh, (laughs) yeah. Yes, please. Um, what first, felt, the first word that, that, sorry, go ahead. Shabbat. Yeah, I just no, was, agreed. Oh. Agreed in my, in my bones, um, which is what I was going to say is it feels very grounding. Your explanation, your definition sounds really grounding, but it also sounds really physical. I like that. It's just, I guess that's grounding too. I don't know. Um, but I like that. It just feels very concrete. The worst coming to mind is concrete, but that's not what I'm thinking mm-hmm. of. I really like it. Grounding. I'm just going to stick with grounding. I really, really Thank enjoy you. that. Thank you. I was ahead, thinking Jen. of the word <laughs> tangible. Yes. Uh-huh. Thank you. Okay. Like, I, I feel like I can reach out and touch what yes. you were saying. Yes. That's what yeah, I was trying to say. That's what was kind of my goal in, in talking about it. And it, that stems from 
the nerdy science education I have, the experiences of yoga that I have. Um, so that's like the subtle energy, the science, um, and just sort of like the basic term of embodiment being tangible. I wanted to sort of convey how that is experienced as a human being on this earth for me and the way I see it based on the constructs that are in place. Mm. Ooh. Mm. And, and you know, I, I, I've been trying to like have my brain come up with words for me to say about what it's feeling like in my embodiment and, and listening to you and it felt regulating and what you were describing felt like regulating, like whatever is regulating to each of us is embodying. Yes. So I was feeling like, Oh, tapping it. So in trying to unlearn and not be so heavily reliant on my nerdy science side, because I could really get in the weeds there. Yeah. I sometimes struggled to keep those things as part of my experience. And what I was just realizing just sort of in the own, the own tension and tug of my own embodied experience as it changes and kind of evolves with me is that whatever regulates each of us is so valid is something that I was mm. hearing in what you're saying, mm. like whichever part mm -hmm. of what you said feels valid. There's, mm -hmm. I often call this like the woo woo moment, right? There's yeah. not like a, a theory or an equation or anything to point to. It's a set of sensations. Um, mm -hmm. um, textures, tangibleness, grabbable was sitting with me also, like not mm -hmm. just tangible as in, I can know what it is like in its shape mm. and what's happening, but also grabbable. Like I can take that over here with myself and I can try that on. Um, mm -hmm. and that felt really important. Mm -hmm. So I was, uh, often when I think of body image, I think of body imaging, like a process it's continuous We're like all these images are happening. I was just sort of sitting in a similar place with embodiment. Yes where it's like, um, I guess I was realizing that my embodiment can feel very static mm -hmm. because I'm keeping the technical nerdy stuff from myself because <laughs> I'm, mm -hmm. I'm trying not to sit so perfectly there. And also yeah. there's so much value there that I find regulating. Like the why and how of things is very regulating for me. So I was just sort of sitting in that and being like, oh, I'm fine. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm finding a lot of permission in this yeah. to be myself. Mm -hmm. I'm just describing it in a lot of words, but that's really what I'm sitting with. I love that. Yeah. I permission to be embodied. However it is you feel today in this moment, mm -hmm. because it's always changing. Um, energy is always moving. It's not mm -hmm. still or static, even though we can feel stuck or static, we are always in constant motion. Our molecules in our body are always moving around. We're digesting, we're absorbing, um, our emotions are changing. We're not always feeling happy or sad or the nuanced, uh, sort of continuum that is, um, you know, emotions. So mm. I love, yeah, that there's no right or wrong way to embody. Um, I think about sort of how we participate in society then creates sort of structure that we have to fit into these molds to function. Um, but there is no right or wrong in terms of how we connect or relate to this energetic force that feels, um, I guess, that we experience through our senses in different ways. Mm. That's how I see it. I really love that. Thank you. Expansive Thank you. permission. Very expensive. I'm going to add expansive. Mm. Very expensive. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. 
Do you feel comfortable sharing what your own embodiment journey has been like for you so far? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I guess a couple of the things that I had thought about before I came here was just like, yeah, embodiment, the title and just how I, how I relate as a human. Um, so like just sort of disclosing that I thought I've thought about it a little, um, and it's so multifaceted that I guess I come, come down to, I feel connected to, um, the ground, my body in this, I'm trying to, so there's, there's, um, these concepts in, um, in yoga, um, about doshas. Um, and I'm not sure how much the two of you know about doshas. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm not a yoga teacher. I just, I've practiced a lot of yoga over the years. And so I've studied and I'm, I'm not super active in this moment, but I do sort of like have this toolkit, um, about subtle energy. And so one of the doshas or the doshas, there's kapha energy, which is like connected to the earth. And then there's, um, Jen, do you know about doshas? Just kind of checking I in. Do with not rem- I, I know them, but yeah. could I tell you them right now? No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> air, there's vata, um, anyhow, and there's pitta, there's fire and we mm-hmm. all embody all of them, all these energetic sources, um, but, are they just the earth um, elements? Am I just realizing that right now? Maybe they are know. essentially all of the earth, okay. but like they're, you know, like earth being sort of separate from air and fire. And so mm-hmm. I sort of have been identified um, as Kapha Pitta. And so that's like earth and fire. So I'm motivated by my heat and by my um, sort of like my belly energy to and I know this could sound maybe woo-woo for some people out of context but um I relate to it and sort of if we took it outside of the yogic space I feel very connected to being still to sort of just Mm -hmm. come back to that being still being um part of like comforted um being calm and like kind of low-key energy that feels like a really safe place um definitely thinking about my childhood and trauma and violence and sort of not to go too deeply in it, into it personally, but just that food has always been a safe place to bring me back to my earth, to bring me back Mm. to my body when I felt unsafe um, or anxious or scared as um, a younger person. And um, I think in our culture, we're taught that you, you know, like emotional eating is this negative thing, but really we have emotions and it's, you right. know, we can't really extrapolate that from eating. We are emotional mm-hmm. human beings that relate. And so all eating is emotional. Um, but what they mean is that like, um, like negative eating or eating out to cope with negative emotions is somehow seen as, um, negative in a weight centric model where mm-hmm. size is a, is somehow a problem problematic for us like medically, but also like in beauty standards. So, so I was always sort of taught like, Oh, like eating for comfort is bad, but actually I've learned in my sort of unlearning how it is such a beautiful tool. The problem is maybe when we use it to, and it's the only tool we have, then it, it can become problematic, but to have this tool, I feel grateful for. So my initial embodiment has been 
um, learning where my safety is and pleasure. And that makes so much sense as a kid, right? To seek, to seek, search for, as a kid, to search for safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. And there's so many other layers of embodiment of the disconnection and connection. And then where you recognize it, sort of the idea of um, in meditation when we if we're, we've ever been in a class or been taught about meditation, like, oh, if you have a thought, that's your, that's the monkey brain and the monkey thoughts or the limbic side of your brain going. And, um, here, here we go, like here are clouds that float by and we're going to try to just recognize them and come back to our body. So, um, I relate to that, to that, like on and off connection. When, when am I feeling disconnected? How do I come back to it? And that relationship is just ongoing, I think, as a as a human being, because um, sometimes we are overpowered by uh, stimulation and we have to turn off to protect our energy. Um, sometimes we're aware of it. Sometimes we aren't. Mm-hmm. And so learning and unlearning, <laughs> learning tools uh, to connect to these things more and be attuned and relating to honoring my needs um, in my body as, as, uh, attunement and sort of, a a way to be feeling really fully embodied, if that makes, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Wow. It makes um, a lot I'm, of sense. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm yeah. feeling like a, this feeling of like deep breath. Like I want to take a really deep breath yeah. and thinking about what you said about layers. Um, mm-hmm. It's really making me want to get very curious about my own ideas of embodiment um, that that sometimes feel like they're surface level and sometimes feel like they're deeper and sometimes feel like they're somewhere in between. But I'm just realizing, I wonder if I've had the experience of feeling more than one of those things at one time or being attuned mm-hmm. to them more mm-hmm. than one of them at one time, which I thought was just really lovely. Um, and in your talking about unlearning that one thing that you can learn is pleasure, which would mm-hmm. be one of the biggest bridges to embodiment, yeah. um, was, and, and talking about the senses, I love that you're tuning in to embodiment as an experience of the senses, like really just like sitting with that, mm-hmm. um, is first of all, reminding me of the window of tolerance, which I don't always like the phrasing of that. Cause why do we have to tolerate mm-hmm. anything? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And also what I really connecting more with is like a space between over and under stimulated. Yeah. A space between um, feeling very dysregulated in a room, like all the way to being feeling very dissociated and disconnected in your body, right? These extremes that exist above this and below this window. And I was just really thinking about how senses anchor us in what you were saying. That's why it makes me want to explore more. Like all of the Mm -hmm. senses at once is totally different from each sense, which is also totally different than a situation which you have some of the senses. I was just sort of hearing the layers as senses, I think, for the first time, which is like Mm -hmm. really resonating. I don't even know if I have words for that, but it's just like really Mm -hmm. sitting deeply in my heart right now. Yeah, it's. We always come up with uh, journal topics (laughs) on this podcast. And I feel like this is my first one is like, when I'm feeling embodied, how does it feel in my sense of smell, my sense of taste, my sense of touch, you know, all of that. Like, what does that feel within my body? I really, really like that way of looking at it. Mm. 
kind of tuning in that way. Mm-hmm. I love, I actually just talking about the the term windrow of tolerance, Jen, I, when we talk about it, um, in relation to the senses, it's, it feels like it takes away sort of the duality of like good and bad or right or wrong, or that we should mm-hmm. fit into something and tolerate it. And more about a like permission and curiosity to check in with the wavelength of subtle energy through our senses. Like, is it, yeah. Like what do it, what feels good? What doesn't feel good? We could change the word toler- tolerance just mm-hmm. to a different word and, mm-hmm. and connect to all of our senses and feel, feel this embodiment and, mm-hmm the more connected we are, the more aware, self-aware we are to connect and relate to others, which just feels really empowering. That that's what comes to mind. It's a self-witnessing. I, that to me is a real sense of embodiment. Mm. That feels empowering Um, in itself. It does. (laughs) And so I've got my first journal topic is I'm thinking about like if the window of tolerance had another name, what would I name it? So already I'm mm. thinking of like the window of choice. Cause it's hard to make choices that honor yourself when you're overstimulated. Mm-hmm. It's hard to make choices or even know that there's a choice to make when you're understimulated and just thinking about like what pulls us up or down. Right. I, I'm, I'm just using up and down to feel relational. Not doesn't have to be in any direction. Um, but just what helps us feel like we're in there. And I'm also just really wanting to consider with myself how often I'm in the window. Like how often am I actually there? Yeah. yeah. Um, just like thinking about embodiment as surface level or many layers or super deep. It's just making me curious. I have no idea what my answer is about myself. I have like honestly no idea. Um, but it feels like a great thing to be embodied about checking in is like embodiment itself, like a multiple layer kind of mm. embodiment inquiry. Like meta embodiment? Sense. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> meta. It feels very meta. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, I can notice when I feel attuned to my body, like that first mm. level. And it's just mm. making me think, especially because embodiment theories often use the word positive. I'm Mm -hmm. it's making me curious if it's making me rebel against even considering my own embodiment in a way because Mm. when I when it's positive it makes me not want to feel at all Mm. trauma response but that's like Mm -hmm. that's what that's what first Mm -hmm. shows up I have to work through that every time Mm -hmm. oh I'm supposed to be Mm -hmm. positive about this what if it sucks is like what my brain starts doing right away so just thinking like to sit in a space and call it like or even comfort choice, comfort, something like, what is the state I'm actually trying to be in? Because I'm definitely not trying to be in positive state or in tolerant state. Mm -hmm. Or connected or just, I guess, like we've been talking about being really connected Mm. and I, I'm, I'm noticing, I'm feeling a little spacey, just having been vulnerable and Mm. noticing like that is a, you know, Mm. response to my nervous system saying, hi, like, you know, there are shifts happening and just checking in with them without judgment mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. what's happening. And they're, that they're protective and supportive, um, mm-hmm. to us every day. And, mm-hmm. and, um, as much as I want to connect to this deep embodiment, I think sometimes, um, I don't know where I'm going with this exactly, but, but sometimes this disconnection is like a, a safe space to be in and, and maybe a level of embodiment that we all need. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's, um, there's no shame sorry. in it, right? Yeah. There's no shame in, in needing 
space or disconnection. Um, you know, it's about honoring wherever you are because we all mm-hmm. have different experiences and we have different needs and where mm-hmm. we see the world and feel the world. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Mm. Okay, I'm not going to go too far into this journal prompt because I need to just have a conversation with myself. <laughs> but <laughs> um, <clears throat> you just really tapped into noticing. So embodiment is often talked at about as looking at what is present. What I was really hearing and and I'm really getting for myself or just hearing in this situation or conversation is that it's also noticing what's absent. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean about the word positive. I can only think about what's present. It's really hard to think about what's absent when I'm just thinking from positive perspective. Mm-hmm. I like don't mm-hmm. notice the things that are sticky. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm newer to boundaries, uh, admitting I'm angry. <laughs> I mean, like newer yeah. as in my almost 40 year old life, like literally mm-hmm. just like two or three years, admitting these things regularly to myself out loud to other people. I'm feeling this kind of sticky pull in my body to not be embodied. To just, I can yeah. feel a lot of sensation in my body, which is a really wonderful thing. And also I can feel like an urge to just disconnect completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right now I feel comfortable just having all this sensation. This is a very safe space in general yes. yeah. um, with both of you, two people I adore so much, also feeling that mm. level of safety. Um, recognizing that I'm going to be witnessed about this is I think the part that makes you want to go, I just like leave my body <laughs> rapidly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to stay here because, um, this is something I've been trying to cultivate and I'm beginning to realize that what I'm trying to cultivate is embodiment and it's noticing what isn't there. Mm. When I dissociate from my body, I can't notice anything that's there. So I'm feeling all this sensation, but to kind of that place of really learning to be with it and like what's underneath here, what's missing inside of here. I don't know. And I really give myself this opportunity. So it feels good to just be here in this exploration. And I'm also going to stop myself because I recognize that I'm about to like start doing my journal prompt out loud, which is okay. (laughs) But it's just like, I I have this urge to like process it all right now. I've written it down. Mm -hmm. I know I'll process it, but it just feels, I have therapy tonight. I'll do it then. It just feels great. I wanted to share that to feel, to be able to feel embodied and no change it. Yeah. Listen Mm -hmm. to it, adding nothing. That's actually Mm -hmm. the spot I'm really trying to exist in right now with it. Mm -hmm. I am, I know we, we might have other, other questions, but I, I just wanted to Mm -hmm. sort of add to this. Um, the idea that the word dissociating is not a negative thing, you know, if anyone out there listening is thinks, Oh, like I have trauma and I dissociate and like, it's this problem and I need to, you know, get more embodied and connect so I can function Uh, like, yes. And like, no, right. Like yes and no, because, um, you know, it served you for a long time, but, but also like we all have needs to just connect and there's nothing wrong with that. And daydreaming or shifting how deeply focused you are is a way to regulate your system. Just like Mm -hmm. we hydrate and we sweat so that we can be in homeostasis. Um, Our body's doing that through dissociating and there's, that's okay. Sometimes, I mean, I'm not the Mm -hmm. therapist in the room, but (laughs) you know, I just feel like it's important to name as um, someone who works with 
eating disorder recovery, there's a lot of trauma uh, in the room in in my clinical work as a dietitian, and so I want to honor honor people wherever they are, and there's no nowhere to be or get to other than connect to what you need in that moment. I am a therapist in the room and I can absolutely (laughs) validate and normalize the need for, I was trying to think of a different word other than dissociation, but I'll say dissociation. It's a, it's a safety practice. It's how I'm going to keep myself safe in this moment. If that's what you need. I mean, I can speak on a personal level, professional level. There are times when I need to remove a part of myself, all of myself, of my brain, of my feelings out of the situation. If that's mm-hmm. what you need to keep yourself safe, that's okay. Absolutely. It's just, oh, now I'm going down a therapy rabbit hole myself. Um, look, before about something becoming harmful, we do things to protect ourselves because they work, right? Like I've talked about this many times. I, I don't believe there are good and bad coping skills. There are just coping skills that at some point might become more harmful than they are helpful. If dissociating Mm -hmm. is helpful for you and it's something that you can kind of rally from without it becoming harmful for you, great, go for it. If that's what you need to do to be safe, that's what's important here. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's a great share. I was thinking of the word adaptive when you were talking about that. We've used this to adapt, to stay present physically in a room when we want to leave Mm -hmm. it mentally. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to eating disorder recovery, eating things that feel challenging, to give ourselves space to do that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that also involves dissociation or distraction was also sitting in my mind Mm -hmm. under stimulation kind of spaces Mm -hmm. where we can tune in on a more subconscious level and have things feel more regulated while our conscious self just goes offline for a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just feels really, um, really important as a step, yeah. as a place. Um, and you said, is it helpful or harmful? I was thinking like, um, I, it feels important to name the system that we're talking inside at this time. Like when it's patriarchal in nature, when it's mm-hmm. capitalist in nature, the, the signal, the message, the overarching energy and theme all around us is stay on, keep going, mm-hmm. get Always. it done. Mm-hmm. Less, so it, do more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so to have a chance to be dissociated or not mm-hmm. feels ex- extremely valuable um, and a little countercurrent that can run within us um, yeah. from all of that shit. I was just sitting, I was naming those words. And my brain was going, that's shit, shit over there. And um, can we, can we adapt without it being pathological? Yes. You know? mm-hmm. Ooh. Absolutely. Oh, I love the way you said that. That gave me chills, right? To not pathologize dissociation and to just let right. it be something that happened is yeah. also a pretty big thing to like, let it yeah. breathe. Mm-hmm. 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 It's making me think of how rest is not a dirty word. It's not a bad yes. four letter word. Mm-hmm. Well, none of them are really that bad, according to me, but there isn't like, there, it's not something that you were talking about stillness being your place of reset, your place of being with yourself, your place of mm-hmm. comfort, safety. Um, and I was just thinking that rest is so active as you were describing dissociation is so active. There is a mm-hmm. lot going on. It's just mm-hmm. not these ideas that we have to be externally processing and performing and being so visible about it feels like something my rebellious inner teenager is going, let's rebel against this 
this feeling that everything has to be on the outside, detectable by another human. We can trust ourselves and our process um, and to find spaces and have support where we can be who we are in that moment and whatever processing we need. Um, it feels very rare, very mm -hmm. special, very safe, but maybe it's not rare. Maybe it's just not as common as I would like. I think mm -hmm. it's more common than we, we may, I may realize in my sort of, I immediately went very dichotomous with that, but there's just something because healing happens there mm -hmm. and healing is so active. Mm -hmm. Guess what I was sitting with. Mm -hmm. Anything else sitting for you, Siobhan? I mean, Chelsea, with C-named person, C-H person, with <laughs> this question that she asked. Just want to check in. Yeah, I, I see my embodiment as uh, always in motion. It's just, mm -hmm. it's part of being a human being. And um, there's continuity to it. And I'm adapting all the time and regulating and dysregulating and resetting. and. Um, I'm noticing it and um, I'm privileged to be alive seeing it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Thank you for that. Yeah, um, thank you. I, I think the only thing I was going to say is I don't know if I see rest as dissociative, honestly. I think for me, I can't speak for everyone. I think it's a really conscious act for me. Maybe because this is the year of rest. I've been posting on social media and in my personal life. Um, <laughs> that I, I have an intention every year. And this year, all the signs in the universe told me to rest. I hate it. I'm doing it, whatever. <laughs> um, and for me, it's a really conscious act to rest. Like I have to really, mm. it's still silly to say, but put effort into resting. And I think when I think of dissociation, I was thinking about this last, just yesterday. I don't even know why. Um, maybe because we're interviewing you, Chelsea, and I know you just got engaged. Congratulations. Well, congratulations. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was thinking about when I got married. I've been married for like four years. I don't know what I'm talking about. But like when I had to put on the dress <laughs> and like, I don't even know why this is coming up. Probably because I've been decluttering. Um, but, and I saw the wedding, <laughs> my wedding dress um, and how they had me try it on. And I am, I'm large. I'm a big, I'm fat. I'm a, I'm a larger woman and, but I am not large up top. Like there's not much happening here. And um, they tried to put like these like fake cutlets in there, you know? And I like completely, <laughs> like my mom, like we got in the car afterwards. My mom was like, you weren't even there. And I was like, I was not even there. And I like, I like, wow. they were like trying to adjust me and da, 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 and put other things in there. And I was like, I'm not doing this, but that's another conversation. Wow. And they just kept talking about it. But anyway, I think for dissociation, at least the way that I'm thinking about it. And I, I'm going to sit with the idea of like rest as association, but for me, it's pulling away. And I feel like rest is moving toward for me, like moving toward something. Uh, I have so many feelings right now. <laughs> I'm excited. I feel like yeah. tingly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this comes back to the doshas and whether or not, you know, we're tuned into this Ayurvedic sort of understanding of energy energy subtle energy it's like we all regulate and dysregulate differently yeah. because we have different nervous systems and mm, different mm -hmm. disposition we all have different personality and energetic flow mm. um and so what makes me feel calm doesn't make the next person calm doesn't make so that's mm. why rest may be more dissociative or less dissociative for someone maybe maybe um in like what feels like a place I can go and escape or not. So a really interesting visual 
I have um, a, a yoga friend who uh, was studying nutrition, but um, not like a sort of conventional track. She was doing more Ayurvedic um, functional medicine work. And so we were both um, on a yoga retreat in Mexico and we were sharing a room. And so after dinner, we would go back to the room um, and study for whatever we needed to do. And so I was currently studying protein metabolism, which is pretty intensely challenging. Jen, you might, I don't know oh, if yeah. you remember those pathways, but yep. Um, they're not as, they're not as fun as studying like carb, carbohydrate metabolism personally. Um, it just, it's like, doesn't feel, it's like studying like German or English. There's like no like rhyme or reason. There's like, whereas like studying like French or like English or Spanish languages feel like there's like rules and flow. Um, mm. that's how I would relate, relate it to. <laughs> so, so, so my like ability, my brain is like going, 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 but my body like really wants to be still like that. That is sort of like my leaning way of being embodied. Okay. So the way that I studied for this exam while I was on this trip was laying in bed with like my book, like propped up on a pillow while I was like literally like head down on the pillow and like, you know, looking up at the book. And my friend studying next to me who feels like much more regulated moving was like standing mm. and pacing and like holding a book in her hand and walking around the room reading her book. Huh. Um, and like, we're just operating in our own nervous systems. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, yeah, just a visual of like how two people can have totally different experiences on, yeah. on regulating. Yeah, that's a really helpful um, example. Thank you to help remind me that it's not one, that's everything, mm -hmm. right? Not everything is for yeah. everybody. Like it mm -hmm. explains it for me, but it might explain it for Jen in a different way. I really like that. Thank you. That was really yeah. helpful. I, I, I love both. I love what both of you said <laughs> because I was like, oh, I don't. Yeah. Cause I think I actually am the one who said rest and dissociation are the same. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was just sitting with that. I'm like, Oh, I could also think of anything that I say that's so dichotomous, so black and white, so <laughs> rigid. I can almost immediately go, Okay, I've already thought of like three exceptions <laughs> to that. So I was kind of sitting in that space anyway. I was like, you're reading my mind. Um, I could see rest can be dissociative. I could see dissociation can be restful. I could see how Ooh. they also feel like they're really in distinct spaces from each mm -hmm. other. Um, not just person to person, but situation to situation for the same person. I was just sort of sitting with, you know, some things that have been mentioned in this little mini part of this conversation are like decluttering. It's super mm. active, but there is no piece that comes to me like decluttering does. Right. So active <laughs> and engaging. Like and <laughs> sometimes to get through it, I have completely dissociated yes. to stay in mm -hmm. my active body part and not mm -hmm. try to be in my head like, oh, I could keep that. Oh, I could do that with this. Right. Or I, my brain will take me in so many directions. I'll end up in different rooms and not decluttering at all. Right. Just like a total tangential physical experience. So no. I can even <laughs> see how in one situation having the tool of rest, like if we were to consider them distinct, even if they overlap sometimes to have the tool of rest and the tool of dissociation, I can get things done by using both of those and harnessing them. And so that um, earlier Chelsea said, oh, that's really empowering. And I just mm. realized today, I don't really think about embodiment as empowering like one word and then the other. Like 
even though I see the potential, but for me, Mm. no, that's not actually what I feel. Mm. I have a lot of sensations I have been dissociating from for most of my life. So to be embodied is to be less empowered externally, Mm. but more empowered internally. And I'm just realizing that even the directionality, I love directionality, but like even the directionality of like, what is restful inside? What is restful to engage with other people or a situation outside of me? What is dissociative? And therefore I can like check out or not be expending energy or whatever that means in that moment. It's just very nuanced. This is something I love about you, Chelsea, is everything always turns into this delicious, nuanced, many layered, expansive, almost explosion of feelings and information. I'm not dissociating. It's not overwhelming. It's just, it's just lovely. It's very engaged. So I continue to feel, I'm going to use the word extremely, extremely embodied in this conversation about embodiment. Definitely the most embodied I felt in any of these conversations, but this is who you are. This is what you pull us into. Um, So I love this. I love the nuance. I love even the idea of being wrong right now. I'm like, oh, I want to think about that. Another journal topic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I said, that's what I do when I listen to these episodes. I'm like, oh, Jen, I don't agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I never think that about other people or like, I don't agree with you. I think that about myself. I don't agree mm-hmm. with you. And then I think about that. I interrogate that. I get really curious about that. Why don't I agree with myself? Um, but I'm sort of doing it in real time. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. also the most expansive answer to this question. Like, I'm not saying comparatively. I just mean like the most, whatever that might mean to each of us. <laughs> it's so lovely. Like mm-hmm. I'm really sitting in the loveliness of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like part of me is like, oh, I could just keep going and talking about this, and I'm like, oh, but right. we haven't talked about all these other things, and then <laughs> nothing and then else. I'm like, and then I'm like, whatever. Like, there's no, right. there's nowhere to go, nowhere to get to. Like, hmm. you know, I'm not, I'm leaning into like perfectly imperfect of whatever it is. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels mm-hmm. very present. Like everything that's here is here, and everything that mm-hmm. isn't isn't, and then all of that is fine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Totally. Mm. something just came to mind like in the studies that I've done in in yoga classes and meditation classes um there's often a prompt to lean into the opposite embodiment that you are inclined to do like my safe place is to be still but I I am a depressive person and I need to move. And that actually Mm. sometimes is something that's really helpful for me to regulate and get more embodied and more connected to what I need. So Mm. for other people, it's really hard to be still and they're, they're recommended to slow down and be still so they can Mm. see and feel um, connected to themselves, especially with nutrition and eating and nourishing. Like we cannot um, fill from an empty cup of not knowing what we feel in our body. Right. So um, to be attuned to those connections requires us to slow down. Um, so it really just depends on what we're going through and who we are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's our disposition, but it's also our, um, it's our story of like where we've had pain and where, you know, where we've been taught that where there's pleasure and how we experience it. So, yeah, I'm just thinking about that. Like, I know, I know where I go when I, when I need like to feel like safe. And that isn't always what I need (laughs) Mm. to feel embodied, like to really be embodied. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is my, my automatic reflexive go-to to to Mm -hmm. slow down and be still. 
it feels really embodied to even acknowledge this is not what I need this moment, even though this is what I want. Yes. Mm. Yes. Ooh, need want. One of my favorite moments of, and places and fine lines of being like, oh, needs here, wants here, but which one is it? Mm. Mm. I love this meta, many layered, amazing look at this. And it makes me curious about the second half of our podcast title, The Rest of Us. So I'm curious, what does the rest of us mean to you? How do you identify within the rest of us? And we'd also love for you to share your pronouns and identify your privileged identities in context here too. Yeah. So my pronouns are she, her. And my privileges are that I am um, able-bodied, partnered, educated, uh, employed. I have many. Um, I am white and I actually have some feelings and thoughts about that that I'll share here, which feel vulnerable. Um, So I'm Jewish, which I see as a marginalization in our world. And as a Jewish person, it's complicated and I'm not like, you know, um, trying to find the right way to describe it, Um, like totally tuned into it, dialed into it. I'm still sort of exploring what my voice is as a uh, Jewish person that's not super religious, but traditionally identifies and celebrates on a secular level. So like, I don't belong to temple. I go to the high holidays. Uh, but anyhow, I, I'm sort of being tangential. I am, if I left New York city, I would not necessarily feel a hundred percent white, which I know feels probably awkward to say as like a deeply held skinned person, um, in a room that's not a hundred percent. Yeah. Privileged and, and in skin color. So I just want to name that um, I I am definitely privileged in that my skin is light white and that uh, I see, you know, all these as constructs. And so um, I recognize that being Jewish for many people um, who are in light skin just identify as white. But if we are really to get down to it, um, the way that I've been raised is that like the Aryan race is white that if you are blonde and blue eyed, you are really white. And that if I leave New York city and go out into the, the, you know, the country that I, I am in some spaces like more oppressed than not. Um, Mm. and I feel safe and cozy in New York city with lots of Jewish people. Um, so yeah, I have, you know, vulnerable to say that because it's sort of a, um, yeah, difficult sort of topic, but but yeah, it's it's a it's a marginalization um, being Jewish and like what it comes up with. So to come back to your question about the rest of us and my um, privileges, yes, many privileges that I stated, and forgive me if I forget any. Um, when I think about embodiment for the rest of us, I think about who is centered, who isn't, and how how are we treated, and how do we identify in that? How do we how do we um, internalize those those experiences? 
Um, and that's a lot of the work that I do, um, of unlearning with my clients and, and myself for years of chronic dieting, you know, a lot of unlearning to come back to myself, but yeah, it's about, it's about where do you fit or not fit systemically? Mm. Um, do I fit in chairs? Do I fit on the airplane? Do I fit in clothing in the stores? Um, am I seen? Do I see myself in media or not? And how I'm, how is that identified um, or celebrated or not? Um, as a fat woman who is um, trying to think of sort of how to describe this, I'm, I'm never not fat in a room and I don't, I sort of have mixed feelings about how to break down um, the, the like sort of continuum of fatness. Well, I think there's mm -hmm. an importance of sort of recognizing the level of privilege within marginalization of being fat, like being on the top scale of a fin of fat, being the most fat and really not fitting in or seeing mm -hmm. um, the rest of us and where that is in the population. Um, to where I am, which is like, I don't, I can't buy clothing in the store. I can get it online. Um, I mostly fit in chairs. Um, I'm sort of on that cusp of like an MRI machine might be really tight. Um, so it's scary on a sort of personal level of how, how our system treats the rest of us, um, mm -hmm. that aren't fitting into spaces, um, in the medical model too, of course, of like medicine being tested and created for, you know, only a certain percentage of people based on a certain weight range, um, or like being able to get surgery, maybe for gender affirming care, top surgery based on your size or not. Um, or I don't know any, any particular chronic disease. If, if you're in a larger body, having um, the ability to get um, medical treatment that is available because doctors have the right to decline care in most of the states. And so uh, I think about that, about where do we all fit in this spectrum of a system that we create in our society to fit in? Mm -hmm. and, um, and when we don't fit, what do we do about that? whether it's on an individual level um, to take care of ourselves or on a sort of larger level, like for me as a clinician who has a social justice lens, how do I push the needle to change that? How am I part of the change to fit more uh, marginalizations into that embodiment? Hmm. You did a really, thank you for that. You, you named most of your privileges, at least the ones that you identify, which I appreciate. How do you identify within the rest of us? Like, what do you name as your own marginalized identities? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, uh, I am fat. I am a woman and I'm Jewish. Those would be mm -hmm. my three mm -hmm. marginalizations. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. I'm trying to find words for how much I appreciate the nuance that was present in what you said, even things that felt sticky mm -hmm. might be the word I would use for that. Sure. Um, 
like, you know, just can feel in my body, the, the tension that you were feeling, right. The mm-hmm. vulnerability that you were feeling, mm-hmm. um, you noted some, just the wording that you used was really sticking with me about, you know, previous uh, in season one with Tiana Dodson, we talked about absolute fat and relative mm-hmm. fat, mm-hmm. like walking into a room and you are fat or not, right? There is, in terms of a construct, there is that space. You talked about fitting into chairs, fitting into spaces. And I was also sitting um, on that level and just hearing and realizing perhaps that we talk about it on that level a lot. Like, is there going to be a, like, are we literally going to fit into spaces? Are we literally Mm going to fit into clothes? Um, right. Cause it's their job, clothes jobs to fit us, chairs jobs to fit us. It's not the other way around. Um, right. so I was like sitting in that level, but I was also hearing, maybe this is a journal topic, but like in another place that, that doesn't mean that we have affirmed the person, the rest of us, us, right. Mm-hmm. To, to receive weight centric care, but have a chair that fits you is a pretty big, um, separation. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to ask of someone. Um, the surface more, and I'm not trying to minimize a chair fitting you because that's really important. Mm-hmm. And it also, I guess I'm sort of perceiving this right now as surface level. It's not, it's not feeling deep enough for me all of a sudden. It's so yeah. important. Comfort. I'm thinking of airplane seats super specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, my own trouble sitting in an airplane seat, especially in newer airplanes where they've somehow mm-hmm. made them smaller or they weirdly mm-hmm. angle them or you're like a half seat or these other things, um, seatbelt extenders and things that quote unquote fit you. But I'm not sure that I've, that there's any increased dignity, I might say. Yeah. Like absolutely. why aren't there airplane mm. seats and that actually fit people? Why isn't that the norm across the board? We are most of us, if we're talking about people in larger bodies. Why aren't, why isn't that, when you're thinking about marginalization, something I've heard you talk about before, Chelsea, is when we center the marginalized, right? It just becomes normal to have a chair that fits everyone. And I do hear what you're saying, that if someone is outside of people's perception of fat, right, on the largest end of the spectrum, I wonder if they'd even be included in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if, if, if chairs accommodate all, every person, for example, I don't know the answer to that. Like I just realizing some, um, information that I don't know, but I'm going to guess no. Um, I I was like, I think it's an, it's a hard no, because Mm. yeah, you know, for infinifats chairs and furniture, if you go to, um, websites for like details on, uh, products, they have maximum weights and they often don't fit bodies my partner and I are fat and we have a mattress that's four plus size people but we did a lot of research to find you know a mattress that supports our body weight because most mattresses don't think of us or include us in their sales and production Mm -hmm. um this comes back to like legislative and policy work which it's not where I personally want to live or, or be like, I don't want to move to DC and work and do this work, but I definitely want to participate and support it. And so mm-hmm. I think it's important to lift our voices of where we're trying to push that needle against that grain. Mm. Um, and 
you know, for example, creating curriculum like Jen and I are doing right now, mm-hmm. that's weight inclusive for nutrition mm-hmm. programs across the country mm-hmm. in an undergraduate capacity to change the medical models, you know, just a, a little taste of, Hey, like maybe there's another way that's a, a lot more ethical. And that's the beginning of change, um, in a system, mm-hmm. um, because we're all individuals that we can't, we can't make this shift on our own and it's going to take time, but we can participate in that, in that movement. If we, if we choose to in different ways. Yeah. I think about that a lot about how I'm one human being and I can, what can I do to make a shift in us all being considered systematically, Mm -hmm. systemically, um, um, first and foremost, but then coming back to sort of like, are, are we valued and not just seen to fit into, which I think is, is the most important, right? Like in terms of Maslow's hierarchy, like our basic needs have to be met, but for mm-hmm. self-actualization to happen for us all that, um, that, you know, I'm trying to think of this quote and Jen, you know, the yoga teacher in Texas who um, is in a larger body, she talks about, about beauty, that everyone's trying to lose weight to be beautiful, but we are inherently, and I'm like sort of, if this isn't verbatim, but we're inher- inherently worthy um, in our bodies as who we are already. And that's not, ever considered um because we're in a capitalistic society that makes money off of people's um not fitting into that centered space right Mm. of of beauty ideals or um yeah the amber carnes um no oh no it's not she's not in texas feels familiar yeah she works a lot with julie um oh shoot i can't remember her name yeah yeah it's okay um i really appreciate your discomfort with the whole idea of the fat spectrum i think we've jen and i have talked about it before and i think we'll continue to talk about it but it's definitely sitting for me how there's this yet again more categorization of fat bodies. And I think sometimes it's necessary, but I also struggle with the fact that it even exists. So I really appreciated yeah. them. Thank mm. you. Yeah. I try not to over-identify as like, you know, wherever I am on the mm-hmm. spectrum, but I like to identify where my privileges are mm-hmm. and my marginalizations within the spectrum instead of naming my size. Mm. Um, like I can fit in a chair versus like I'm a small to medium fat, for example, like I'm naming it, but for the purpose of identifying that it's not relevant if I take myself and point out like where, where my privileges Hmm. are as a, in my body, in that embodiment are in my marginalizations are, I am very uncomfortable in an airplane seat, but I can fit. Right. I might be like, schooling over to somebody else and it make it might make them uncomfortable. And that is a design flaw on the airplane yeah. <laughs> um, manufacturing, not me. Um, mm-hmm. That is, that is, that is a cusp that I'm on and I don't need to 
identify where I am on that spectrum to articulate this, because I think the more that we parse out like this identity, it's more um, of like where we are in the spectrum. I think we can use it and not use it. And it's just, it's so nuanced, but um, I, I don't know what I, where I was going with that, but I think it often can be a use of harm, like mm. um, in that, um, let's see, on the spectrum, we're othered, we're disembodied when we're othered, in my opinion, um, but also like identifying the outliers, like the infinifat, um, is important. So like both can exist in different ways. Right. Um, cause these are social constructs. So like what is real, what is not real, what's real are living in a system that doesn't design things for you. Mm. What's not real is like just the self-identity without any context. Mm-hmm. It's words. It's an idea that like sort of loses its meaning. Like without the identification of the marginalizations or the privileges, it's just a social construct that loses its meaning. Mm. This is sitting really heavy. Um, that's the only word that's coming to mind. Um, because I, it's something that I need to kind of sit with personally and repair with other people, other conversations I've had, because I definitely have used the spectrum to identify where I am. And I, yeah. And you're saying like, why I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't actually know. So that's sitting really, it's making my stomach hurt right now. Like if you're, if you were, could see the zoom video, like I'm scratching my arms as I'm talking, Mm -hmm. because I feel really itchy just thinking about it. The Um, itch that's like emotional itch. Yeah. Yeah. So I can identify with that because I think, so something important to share that I didn't share before I realized is that um, I haven't always been fat. I mm. became fat. So my my relationship to it feels very different than someone who grew up fat and haven't had that marginalization as a child, right? Mm-hmm. That is a different sort of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so I recognize a privilege of like having been in a straight-sized body as a child and not having to experience that. But then to come into being fat from weight cycling and chronic dieting and among other things, because there's like, it's multifaceted, it's chemistry, it's biochemistry in the body. We can't really like parse it out. Um, but always feeling the need to like self-identify like before I stopped chronic dieting, but was in a larger body, like, Oh, I'm not really fat. I'm fat because, and I can change that, mm. that idea, even with my education that, that sort of helped me understand that of unlearning, of, let's be clear. I had a very weight centric education in um dense sciences in dietetics and a deep unlearning of it as well and even with my intellectual knowledge a lack of acceptance that I can't manipulate my body long term even Mm. knowing the statistics because it's Mm. just it's a denial piece for sort of like regulating and fitting into our systems of um of not being centered right so (laughs) So I always felt the need to be like, well, I'm in a larger body because of this or like, or like, you know, like, and it's like fat bodies are all valid, whether you were always fat or 
became fat, like whether you're fat because you took medication or because you have a chronic illness or because you just genetically are predisposed to it, like they're all fucking valid. Mm -hmm. And we need to stop like explaining why we're fat. I think there's this huge Mm. need to like self-identify like where we are in the spectrum of fatness Mm -hmm. and why. And I think that is because of thin privilege and medical weight stigma personally. Um, And I see Mm -hmm. the relevance of sharing where we fit in in that fatness spectrum some of the time. Like it just, in terms of like being public facing about it, I always question like, what is the, what what am I trying to get across by telling people my size? Am I trying to validate myself in the room? Like you need to know I'm marginalized or, Mm. which I think is relevant, but there's other ways to do other Mm -hmm. ways to do it. Like, like I can't fit in this thing or I can't travel to you because, or like, I can't get this medical care because of my size. You know, these are like more specific and like help sort of, yeah. Ground us in understanding each other. Um, but in terms of like, I am this size, I don't know. I'm just, I'm fat and that's it. And I, I think that maybe if I was an outlier of fatness, this would be a different conversation. Like I am really never heard or seen, like, I can't even buy clothing online. I have to have it made for me. Hmm. I can't like, I'm disabled to the point that I can't, I'm immobile or what, you know, like those levels of things, maybe then it becomes more in the room Hmm. of, of it. But, um, identifying my privileges and my marginalizations around my size help, I think, connect me to my embodiment and to others. And it, it feels weird and icky because we live in this society that's like really, um, othering about it. Right. Like Mm -hmm. we're, there's a very small percentage of people who are really centered. Yeah. I've recently read a book called, um, don't let it get you down by Savala Nolan and which I recommend to everyone. It's the best. Oh my God. It's one of the best things I've read in years. Um, and she does a really great job of even talking about celebrating those privileges and how icky can feel to do that, but it's, it's real Mm -hmm. life, right? Like we, I'm not saying I'm glorifying or I'm like lauding myself for being whatever, but I definitely have benefited from privileges. So, um, right. That's probably why I feel so icky to even say in my head, like I have celebrated the fact that I'm not whatever. I'm not trying to be fat phobic, but it, it's, it's where, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm itchy. <laughs> I, I mean, if, if it's okay, yeah. if it's okay for me to say, I, I think that's so human um, yeah. that we like feel lucky or gratitude for our privileges in mm-hmm. our, in a system that is harmful. Like it's, you didn't do it. You didn't create this system. You're in a system. And like mm-hmm. having compassion for that feels so important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, for the record, like, you know, I'm in and out of naming my, where my body size is, yeah. but I'm starting to come to a place where I'm like, I don't know how relevant it is unless mm-hmm. it's maybe like working with a client who needs to hear my story right. to connect me, to heal. Like, publicly openly without any sort of like containment I don't know what to do with it 
Ooh, this is so layered and so, so nuanced, just like when we're talking about embodiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the sticky parts of other identities you mentioned, including white and Jewish. I'm sitting with that too right now. We're, when we're, I'm feeling so icky about that. It's, I'm, first of all, I'm feeling very honored to have this kind of conversation because um, uh, it just feels important to explore the nuances of things, like both the chance to be, talk about your personal experience And I'm also hearing that in this space, like each of our personal experiences, and also um, a space to consider the nuance, um, and it's one of my favorite things about you, Chelsea, that things can be relational. Yeah. Even in that, that stickiness, right? It's, I also heard the recognition that there are people who are more marginalized. That wasn't lost in what you said. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Um, I appreciate that. (laughs) And like they gave me chills and I'm feeling itchy because it's, so I'm white, I'm in a fat body, but I'm white, white, white. I'm pale like you. And I always feel like I'm even in exploring the nuance, like just having a conversation, it feels like I'm taking up space that I didn't mean to take up, but I also right. think it's important to explore some sort of, I don't know, sitting in both places. Yeah. Um, and and also sitting with the, like walking into a room as fat. Now that's not something that I experience. Right. I, um, I'm not on those margins. I did not grow up a child who was fat. I grew, I became fat. So I'm, I'm just realizing I'm the most privileged person in this room in a lot of ways, like in the terms of like what other people can the absolute or undeniable or visible. I'm not sure which word is okay. I'm going to think I'm going to stick with visible because that feels like really what Mm -hmm. I'm trying to say that like I can walk into a room and I can be invisible, but not in like I'm in an othered way. I can just mm-hmm. be invisible. That mm-hmm. is a possibility for me. It's something that I'm sitting with here um, and sitting with the nuances in this conversation from each of you, that there are aspects where you, it's, it is visible. You don't get to be mm-hmm. invisible in that way. Right. Yeah. Um, just sort of, just sort of feeling all of these embodied feelings that I'm feeling and um, um I just want to sit with it. I just want to listen about that. I just want to like sit in that, um, the discomfort I feel, but also like the awakening sort of moment it feels to just sit with that for myself. Yeah. So I wanted, I wanted to also get vulnerable and share yeah. that. Thank and I'm you. wondering Siobhan, and I'm not trying to, I'm wondering if you want to share anything about that or how it feels to have two white women saying this with you. You, you can be like, I'm not going to talk about this. Let's take it out. I'm and, probably not going to talk about this. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm glad you shared that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to name if we want to take anything out about my feelings about race, that's totally valid too. And just hold it okay. to the space about being fat. <laughs> like that's totally fine. It doesn't need to be mm-hmm. in here. I recognize like full on privilege of being light skin and like Judaism is complicated and uh, like really like really misunderstood in a lot of spaces Mm -hmm. and I I don't even fully like yeah for all intents and purposes I fill out forms as white and I don't Mm -hmm. I'm not not I'm not not white but like white I don't know I'm just I'm not Aryan and I'm not and I if I go to a lot of places I'm I feel 
othered and disconnected. And I also have a lot of privilege and I just want to name both. And that there's like something to both of you. Like I, I I don't see like, it's no, there's no competitions and marginalizations or privileges. We can, we can sit in our privileges and like be grateful for them in our fucked up system. And we can like support each other in our marginalizations to understand what that means Mm -hmm. um, for each other. um, And like that, and that it all fits. Mm. Yeah. So. Mm. Yeah, I appreciate that. I don't have an answer. I'm just sitting. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, you don't have to have an answer. I hope it doesn't feel like I'm waiting for one. Mm-hmm. Um, Before we go forward, and I'm yeah. probably going to cut this. I don't know. I'm going to do it with it later. I think you that can cut anything out you want. I'm sitting with this idea of Jen. You saying that you're the most privileged person in the room, which you are. That's I'm not de- denying that, but like. I think there's always this, and because I'm so black and white, for lack of a better term, like, um, I've always struggled with this, like, is this me centering myself? Because I have privilege in different ways. I'm black, but I appreciate, I actually feel quite privileged being dark, at like a, a darker black, black person, because like, there's never any question of where are you, where do you like, I'm just black, like nobody questions that. Mm, um, that also could be because I grew up in a family that was very... <laughs> there's a lot of colorism, but kind of reverse, I guess, colorism that the darker you are, the better you are in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, this, I guess I get stuck with this like dynamic of, am I centering, like, am I speaking up as a way to center myself in this conversation versus am I speaking up as a way to make space for less privileged people to talk? Like, I don't know. I guess that's kind of where I'm sitting. Right. I don't know. I don't really have an answer. I'm just kind of, Ooh, that's a very, sitting with that's it. a, that's a can you mm-hmm. say that one more time I'm sorry so I guess uh, no <laughs> that's not what I said um that last <laughs> I, was like, part, I, actually, just like, I was just babbling um no, kind of this dynamic important. between am I speaking up because I'm centering myself in this conversation or am I speaking up because I am trying to I guess have an effort to create more space for less privileged people in the conversation. Oh, interesting. That sounds like a lot of an emotional labor. I just want to name that. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and that's a lot. And I, yeah, I just appreciate you saying that. Um, Mm -hmm. and being vulnerable. It makes me feel safer when everyone's vulnerable. (laughs) Agreed. Yeah. I'm like trying not to cry right now. Like I feel really, really I'm so close to tears. You have no idea. Um, I'm probably going to cry. I also, I also (laughs) recognize that like in our, and that's like whatever we can take this out of the recording because like I do want to center it around embodiment and being fat um but the fact that I shared this piece about being Jewish and like I'm still exploring it for myself of being oppressed but like I still recognize that we live in a country where like my I have way more privilege and like in the toolkit that Jen and I are in like the people we want to pay first are BIPOC and transgender. Like mm-hmm. I'm not anywhere like on the top of that list. And I'm, I'm certainly not trying to center my voice um, as an oppressed Jewish person as like historically speaking, mm-hmm. um, I have a ton of privilege in my life, like as an individual. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm focused on like talking about being fat and like trauma, but like, I don't know. I just like, I had family that w- was like, literally 
killed in the Holocaust and there's a lot of feelings about it. And, and yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm not saying that to like, to disregard your experience because there's a difference between like, clearly you're white, clearly, but people are not going to show up at other white people's places of worship and in their lives because they're white. Like that's the difference. Like there is absolutely like tangible, uh, recorded, constant aggression toward your people. That's, I didn't want to say your people. That sounds terrible, but you know what I mean? That's Yeah, totally. It's not the same thing to me. It's it's really not. not. It's not, you're right. It's not. And like, I'm not, I'm not going to put it there because it is. I just guess like, just the idea of like being Caucasian is from a specific place and like I'm Jewish and like, so my heritage is like not white, even though I'm light skinned and Mm -hmm. and race is a construct and I don't identify with it all. But for all intents and purposes, I'm fucking white and (laughs) I'm not going to, I'm not going to like play around with that. I'm just, I'm playing around with like naming like Judaism. And so I, if this like tossed up any emotional shit and like discomfort, I'm sorry. No. And I also think that that's what this podcast is about is not just, we're only going to talk about fat people and then only fat and nothing about anything else than that. That's, we talk about the margins. We talk about the intersections, not just ethnic or racial, but neurodivergence and, um, you know, uh, uh, gender identity, sexual orientation, all of it, all of it. It's not just that. Yeah, of course. Of course, because mm-hmm. it affects um, all of our embodiment, it does. everything mm-hmm. that we're talking about. So I'm just going to say my vote right now. I think all of this should stay in because it's <laughs> it's fucking perfect. Yeah. Um, and our introduction is going to be like, all right, here it is. <laughs> here's, a, here's a messy pile. Enjoy. <laughs> it's perfect. And I, I wanted yeah. to hear you both say these things. Yeah. And I didn't even know what you were going to say. I wasn't yeah. planning on. I wasn't even um, planning on saying that. And like most Jewish people don't, don't, wouldn't say, identify this way. Yeah. I, I would say it's a hard conversation to have. Um, yes. And what comes up for, for me is just like, people look at my features and they don't know, like, what, what are you? And I'm just like, you know, yeah, it's just this other thing. Mm. Yeah. It's like the features version of colorism. I actually don't have a word yeah. for that, but um, where people assume who you are based on what they consider those features to be attached mm-hmm. to as in a, in a socialized way. And I, I, something that I've really appreciated right now that you've said, uh, a few times, and it's really been sitting in my head is that these are constructs and right. We're talking yeah. about directionality. We are socialized to see each other as different and some as good and some as bad, some in between or ambiguous or whatever the thing is. Um, and again, naming the structures that we're inside of, it upholds patriarchy, it upholds capitalism and all kinds of supremacy, no matter whether that is the social racialized version of supremacy or any other thing that says this is the best, this person, this match. Um, you mentioned Aryan, right? The the idea that there's a particular person that is the best just because they have particular features. Um, I mean, let's be clear. I don't, I don't identify that as the 
beauty standard the Nazis did. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I I was just sitting with, wait a minute, I'm not naming. Right. But people uphold (laughs) systems. So why do we bring up this word Nazi? So all the way into now in the future, because people still identify with that as a, in a power structure, um, in our media and and our beauty standards, the reason that I'm, I was getting emotional. The reason I'm sitting here, I'm having some release of the embodiment. I've been feeling the whole time. Actually, it feels really lovely. Um, even though it's sticky and a hard topic is that, um, it feels important to, I don't know. It just felt really important for me to witness that. I actually don't think I have any other words for that, but it just, um, it felt like an honor to me you don't have to say these things in front of me, right? It's not an obligation. You're not my teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, and I still felt like I, I feel like I learned and unlearned while unlearning is learning, but I just felt like, um, there was a lot of activity in my unlearning realm in that space, um, and just witnessing. So it felt really important to me for that reason. Yeah. It, it's, it's a hard conversation. I think Mm -hmm. like, before I, was I like saying, hard conversations. I live for them. Like mm-hmm. marginalization. There's no competition. Like we all matter. Like the rest of us, we all fucking matter. And mm. in our system, in this particular, in this country, but also globally, like there is a hierarchy of like who is Absolutely. most marginalized. And like, mm-hmm. we need to be real about that. Like even like, yes, there are constructs. And like, we, I can talk about that fluidity of like, what is real and get meta about it. But like our frameworks that are upheld that are oppressive like have a hierarchy and like Mm -hmm. you know I'm not anywhere near the top of that marginalization and I'm I'm grateful for it and recognize just yeah like not fitting in and not being an outlier and like that is the rest of us Mm -hmm. we're all just in the rest of us a lot Mm -hmm. of us most of us Mm -hmm. because true that the centering is a really small percentage of people and it's, yeah. ke- it's keeping um, white men richer mm. yeah. and more powerful yeah. and more everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think it's an important conversation to be had. Um, I'm thinking about um, when there was the shooting in El Paso, Texas, a year and a half ago. So I grew up there. So that place mm-hmm. holds a lot of, a lot of fondness for me and a friend of mine who I adore um, is Mexican. Like she grew up in Mexico. Um, she She's afraid to sometimes acknowledge out loud that, you know, that the assault on brown bodies as much as there are assault on black bodies because she feels like she doesn't have the right to say that. But I'm like, but it's happening, you know? And I think it's right. important to give space to that and to... Um, there are no oppression Olympics. I like to make the, every, I call everything the Olympics. Also, I like the Olympics, but that's a whole other conversation <laughs> that I probably shouldn't like it as much as I do. Um, but there are no oppression Olympics. But like right. you said, there are these this, these systems that encourage the oppression Olympics as well. Yes, yes, that hierarchy exists. And mm-hmm. we have to, if we are caring about the rest of us, then mm-hmm. we need to lift the most marginalized voices Correct. and center them. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm. Mm. Um, I feel like there's a thousand journal prompts that could come out of this, <laughs> maybe a million. Um, you know, the nature of a podcast is we're all here talking. So it's like this strange in-between place of like, are we centering ourselves? But also this is our podcast and we're having a conversation. Um right. and I think it's really important what you brought up, Siobhan, about just 
the question of asking ourselves, what is my intention here? And also, what is my impact? Is such an embodied question, the traveling of something from intention to impact is through our body, speaking it, doing it, whatever that is. So I was just really just sitting with not having to have an answer to that question feels actually really important. Now I'm just, I'm witnessing, I'm just talking about me. Um, but it just, I was like, ah, it's okay that that question isn't answered. It's okay mm-hmm. that it felt like, sh- do I have any comment here? Do I have anything to say? Cause I feel exactly the same. It's also, I was like, I don't want to call you out, but I did it instead of calling, like asking myself. <laughs> so I just want to name that because I'm just sitting with and realizing that that's what I did. Um, because I, I think the answer sometimes is just, I don't know. As we were talking before, or like, I don't know right now, might be the full answer. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about um, dissociation and rest, are there differences and are there similarities? I'm also sitting with, and something that I'm just realizing how important it feels to me. And I say this all the time, but it's like, I say it to other people. I think I'm saying it to myself right now. I don't know, just like the word no is a full response. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. letting it just be an, I don't know, actually feels important to be not capitalistic, not fix, not perfectionist, not anything like that, but to just be in the question. Or even if it's, I don't know, just, I don't know, empty brain space, which I don't have. I don't know what that feels like, but like, um, not having to arrive at a question that leads to an action change or something like that, but to just be with the question is actually something I'm really sitting with in this conversation and mostly listening to the two of you, just sitting in that space. I think it's the space I'm sitting in right now. I don't know if that makes sense outside my brain. Um, it does. Okay. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's how I would describe what I'm experiencing, which feels like lovely and wonderful in this moment about a hard topic but I've noticed that in our conversation, Siobhan, that what we end up, what I end up feeling is like, that was lovely. That was amazing. That was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, that was so nuanced, right? That was sticky. I loved it. Right. Just a real <laughs> mix of really strong things like that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. I know that I've said a lot of uncomfortable things, so I'm I just love it. naming them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like my intention is so that, yeah that anyone who feels othered wherever they are, that it's relevant and they can experience that and identify with it. Mm-hmm. We can be related in having been othered without it being identical. Yeah. 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 That's what I got from what you just said. Um, yeah. Like I don't want to center it above or below any, anyone mm-hmm. just, just want it to exist in a space where people know that they are inherently valuable. And if they feel othered, that they're not alone. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Agreed. Mm. Okay. I fucking love this. Okay. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I, and now I'm just babbling, but I mm-hmm. go for it. Can I go back to my idea of the oppression Olympics? So, um, yeah, God, the Olympics are so fucked in so many ways. I'm gonna stop saying that. 
so fucked in so many ways. Like even think about how the Olympics are. The oppression Um, championship. We'll come up with something. I like we call this stuff. Yeah, (laughs) we call the suffering Olympics in our marriage. Like you don't get to win the suffering Olympics today. (laughs) It's just terrible. Um, Yay, couples counseling. But um, I, um, yeah, I, I. I guess I'm struggling because I, I, again, like you said, Jen, you can say something and five minutes later, you're like, I don't like what I mm. just said. And that's where I am right now. So mm. I, there is no, there's a hierarchy and there's not a hierarchy is I guess just what I wanted to say. And that's not yeah. saying that we must like, oh, but this is how I suffered, da, 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 da. But it, there has to be some acknowledgement that like, there's a hierarchy of there, oppression. There yeah, there is. to be a queer, I'm sorry, to be a trans black woman is to be the most targeted person in this marginalized, most targeted, most marginalized person in this country. Yes. And I just needed to say that out loud. Obviously, yeah. we know that all three of us know that, but I still just need to say it. I, um, guess I yeah. appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, no, I totally agree with it, like wholeheartedly. <laughs> and like, I live by that in that, like, in our, um, in Jen and our curriculum building like we want to pay the most marginalized the trans BIPOC mm. combined like they need to be paid first in our group of people that are in our DEI mm. um for reason um and um and like you said like we can all exist like all of our marginalizations can exist or like otherness mm-hmm. um and yeah it's just it is hard. It's hard to want to even talk about it because, because I'm not the most marginalized. Like it, like, I just don't feel like I should take up space talking about it. I generally don't publicly. Um, and like, that's okay. Like I don't have a a deep need to like most of the time talk about my Judaism in that way. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm just exploring the ideas of the construct because like they're all constructs and like, I don't fit either, but I have some more privileges in some of those spaces. Mm. And like, mm. because this, it, this, because I'm being interviewed, I'm being honest about that. Mm. <laughs> but like, I loved I your honesty and I really appreciate I it. I don't have an answer either. That's like my, yeah. my answer for everything is I don't have an answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, um, I really appreciate I your do. honesty and your vulnerability. You. I really do. I, I, and I just like, I don't center it most of the time because it's not, yeah, it's not the most important thing to me. And it, it's not, it's not, um, yeah, there's not a burning need right now Mm. in history. Like this is, that's not where it's at. Mm. It's just, it's just, there's, um, that generational trauma and, um, it exists and yeah, there's some space for it, but it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be centered either. And if it is the most important thing to you, that's okay too. Yeah, I was gonna like just I, about to say that. Oh, yeah. totally. And like, there are people, there are people out there where I think it is. It just yeah. doesn't happen to be because I was raised by hippies that were not religious, but their parents <laughs> were, and like, it just so happens that didn't happen for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm. Ooh. Um, ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the most still and least sweaty I've been because I'm just right? so busy. I am like 
there's something about how you described embodiment in the beginning that pulled yeah. my embodiment in. And then mm-hmm. even in this really incredible, vulnerable space, I'm, fe- I feel like I'm feeling it with you, my own version of that, but just that's what I mean about being an honor to be in this space. My mm-hmm. presence is pretty unparalleled right now. And so this is you, Chelsea. So thanks for letting me be in this space with you. Thanks for being here in our space because mm-hmm. I can, I can feel it. I am experiencing it. Yeah. This is the most comfortable. I mean, yeah. two hours ago, whatever we started like that. I've ever, like, I never come in this comfortable. I really don't. So I appreciate Aww. that. Normally I'm, I'm sweating and my head's like on 35 I mean, different chores and like, yeah. <laughs> Just, I'm super honored. Yeah. I feel like, is... yeah, I feel honored that we're holding space together to be, yes. to be authentic and vulnerable and um, unfiltered as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love the lack of filter. My brain doesn't even know what to do with it, even though I consider myself a very unfiltered person. And I find that very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's just very interesting to me. Agreed. So I'm just Agreed. sitting in it. Mm-hmm. I'm a, a rebel dietitian. You are. Mm. It, take, it takes one to spot one. <laughs> Speaking of being a dietitian, should we talk about eating disorder recovery? Yes. <laughs> was that a good segue? It was perfect. I like it. It was I perfect. Like it. I'm actually cold, and this never happens in Whoa. these. Like, I mean, like I am normally like. I, like, I don't even shower on podcast days because I already know, like, by the end, I'm like, I just gotta, like, run to the shower. Um, and I don't need one. That's so I'm weird. Anyway. I had to put this back on. I'm serious. I had to put mine back on. I'm cold. I'm, I'm freezing. I have <laughs> never put a coat anything never. back on. Oh, never. Oh, that is, that is what I needed. Okay. That's exactly I start, like, I pulling my shirt up. I'm, like, trying to pull my pants down during these things. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, I gotta get out of my clothes. <laughs> What embodiment practices do you recommend for folks experiencing various stages of eating disorder recovery? Uh, What caveats or exit strategies do you offer if any part of the process is overstimulating or what caveats or exit strategies do you offer to resist re-traumatization? Yeah. So as an eating disorder dietitian, I work with a multidisciplinary team. Typically um, it's advised and is sort of the common practice to have a team of a therapist, a psychiatrist, a dietitian, and then in some circumstances, uh, you know, maybe a gastroenterologist, an endocrinologist, some sort of specialist, depending on chronic illness. And so I really am um, leaning into trauma-informed um, therapists for that support. In some cases, we'll use um, OTs, um, for reg- regulation around trauma I've seen and worked with. And so it's usually sort of a collaboration of like uh, working with a team to learn about what works for this client in particular to ground them. What's mm-hmm. dysregulating typically historically in their um, history is, you know, um, in, in a lot of cases, it, you know, do, does somebody need a fidget tool? Um depending if they're neurodivergent to somebody, you know, I usually check in about um, like, how's the temperature? How's the lighting for you? How's the sound checking in with all their senses coming back for embodiment about it's about um, adaptation and regulation of these senses. So what feels good to you right now? Maybe nothing feels good. And like, that's the reality. We need to just be honest about it. Um, A lot of times I, I will do meal support with people. And so 
really just like getting it set up um, through telehealth as we're in a pandemic. Um, it's a really beautiful thing. Technology is like a, a beauty and a curse. I, I think personally, <laughs> um, working in telehealth has been really supportive for my clients in that like I'm in the room with them um, virtually. Like I can see their space. Um, they have access to their kitchen. Maybe I'm doing like cooking with them. Mm-hmm. Um, before they come to sit down, maybe their pet is with them or like their artwork and it just, they get to see my pet Luna. Um, and so there's a lot of like kind of connection in these elements that maybe makes up for like the nuance of being in the room together, at least for dietetics, it, it makes sense for the food piece. Um, being ha- able to have access to your bathroom or to your mm-hmm. food really is like about that basic need. And coming back to the senses, it's usually a prompt about, you know, how is your seat? Some people bring weighted blankets to put over their lap or over their feet. Um, Do we have socks on, comfy clothing? Does our clothing fit? Are we wearing a bra that's too tight? Um, Pants that are like not letting us breathe. You know, these are important sort of nuances to check in on um, because we can't really be present when we're we're deeply uncomfortable um and we're going to do some hard work together that could be uncomfortable so let's get as comfortable as we can um yeah I think you know when people dissociate or dysregulate it's it's bringing them back to safety and getting consent and permission um so it's about building trust uh and connecting to my clients um autonomy, um, that they can trust themselves even when they're, you know, in their deep throes of their eating disorder, that they can trust Mm -hmm. when they don't feel okay or not. And they can tell me Mm -hmm. and we can collaborate on that support. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so, so a lot of that regulation is about the senses. And then of course, coming back to knowing historically from the therapist, you know, like where there are maybe pieces to lean into and prompt about um, how to ground and how to regulate. And that's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So, so I am feeling at peace just listening to you. Right. Um, these are some of the things I do in my own practice and hearing some of them said back to me, yeah. um, invited me in a different way. Oh, cool. to just be there for a client, but to be there for myself in that moment, I have adjusted I rolled up my sleeves a little bit. Mm. Um, I was just sitting in what helps me be present now. It was such an invitation, uh, permission you mentioned, and really that it really, it felt like by choice. Yeah. I think we need to want that. I think that's beautiful. We need to want to be there, even if we don't want to be there, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's that hard sort of balancing act of showing up in the room and being vulnerable or the virtual room there is as we're in a pandemic. Um, A lot of times people in the pandemic haven't had any contact with with enough people. So like these meetings are so extra meaningful and Mm. supportive. This human connection is is so grounding um, and needed, even if it's dealing with hard conversations or challenging maladaptive behaviors around recovery from an eating disorder. and it really, yeah, sometimes we play music and dance 
<laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I really sort of lean on my clients to um, tell me what they need. You know, I'll prompt and ask questions with consent if that's what they need or want. But sometimes they really know what they want to need. And I'm like, great, like, let's do it. Um, I need to turn on mu- music and like, I need to dance. And like, can we do that together? And we're like, I need my, some my hand lotion smell or like maybe I'll light a candle, create mm-hmm. a space and a mood to feel safer and more connected to my senses. Um, I often try to help people connect to their body and breathe. And it's often <laughs> um, rejected when people are in the heightened state of anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's really common <clears throat> to see that. And that that's okay. You know, like we can find a moment to take one breath versus five um we don't need to like meditate for an hour to um get grounded and connect to our body um sometimes it's like are you breathing asking that question like are you holding your breath are you breathing Mm. is your breath going to your stomach to your chest like where is it where are you feeling tension in your body right now like are you shaking um just like sometimes there's a lot of digestive altered gi you know, with eating disorders, it's sort of like what comes first, the chicken or the egg of, of, did it cause the eating disorder or vice versa? And there's a lot of, um, unknown sciences about that. And sort of, we have to come back to harm reduction. And so sometimes it's like, how's, how's your stomach? Like, you know, are we feeling rumbles in our tummy, in our, in our GI anywhere? Are we feeling like acid reflux up here, mm-hmm. um, you know, prompting and connecting to the body um, in in this moment, so that we can um, move forward in the work that we're doing mm-hmm. and be um, as safe as possible. Mm. It must feel really restorative to work with you as a client. I would imagine that's just Seriously. what a gift. Mm-hmm. Both of you, honestly. (laughs) Just a thought exercise of what Mm -hmm. you might work through is so Mm -hmm. regulating, calming, centering. Um, I feel very present and awake. Like There's an awakeness in myself with myself. Just listening Mm -hmm. to you. I already knew this, but we're like really sitting in it, right? As we Mm -hmm. like listen to you. I was also thinking of the the vagus nerve. Just when we think about Mm -hmm. altered GI function and um, which comes first, who knows, but the vagus nerve is everywhere from the, just below our chin, all the way to our colon. In other words, almost out of the body, mm. the full digestive tract in and around every single organ in our body, not just those used for digestive purposes. Um, and how the vagus nerve is responsible for regulating our heartbeat and heart rate, how fast and how strong it feels and how we're talking all of these things about embodiment and regulation, the intention of these things being regulated is to feel that your heart rate and heartbeat are more of a match for where you would like to be in your body, right? It's a a chance to move states. So it's also really making me think about embodiment as flow. Ooh. Not just dynamic Mm -hmm. as in the opposite of static, but I'm really hearing that as flow, right? Like how are Mm. things flowing through our body? Does the act Mm -hmm. of eating feel interruptive to that? How can we address that? So it feels more regulated. 
Um, what can we notice in our body? And when we notice things through our senses, do we feel more regulated in really tangible ways? I was just thinking about how things related to regulation can be so like we can literally touch our wrist and get our heart rate, right? Or you can touch your carotid artery. You can get present mm-hmm. to something going on within you before and after trying to be embodied during embodiment. Um, we don't have to get so tangible, but I was just thinking about how it can be. It was just becoming a really clear kind of, I don't know, experience. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that wow. picture. And I love mm-hmm. you nerding out with me. I was like, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I love, I love you nerding out with I've reclaimed fat and nerd. Mm-hmm. Two of my favorite things it. about myself, actually. I love both of them and you. Thank you. I love you too. <laughs> I love you both. Mm-hmm. I love you both. Already. Oh. I don't even know you, Chelsea. I'm like, I, I love I you. I feel loved right here. <laughs> and I love sitting here just listening to you. This is fun for me. It is fun. <laughs> it's hard, hard, fun, fun, hard. Awesome. I don't know. There's something. I've never thought of those two things as together, but. They're really here. I like listening to you to nerd out on dietetics. We do. <laughs> we do it oh regularly. We love it so much. <laughs> um, we try to like, we're like, how long, how much time can we nerd out today? <laughs> yes, <laughs> we do that all the time. <laughs> like, we have an hour and a half. Let's go. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. um, something I love to do related to the vagus nerve and like the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system, which relates to digestion, but also just a million other functions in the body. Um, and one way to regulate and kind of calm is to tune into the parasympathetic nervous system. And one way to do it is to put one hand under the armpit and the other hand across and, and just sort of gently hold to our side of our rib cage and breathe, close our eyes and take some breaths. And it can really calm our nervous system because we're activating the parasympathetic nervous system right in this section here. I don't have. Yeah. The thumb part. Yes. Right. And so I do try to prompt some of my clients to do this if they feel open to it, um, to connect, but sometimes, um, to sort of Siobhan's question before about like what happens when people's trauma comes, kicks up, it's, it's a lot of times not safe for people. And I, I come back to the fact that um, people are wise, like in in their bodies, and they they need to tell me if they don't feel safe. Um, I can prompt um, and check in if I see that someone is starting to lose their attention with me. Um, that might be might be one way, not all across the board, but it could be a, a variable um, or the you know sort of the inability to put words together or eat a meal, continue eating like what's happening right now and sort of just check in. Like we don't have to go so deeply in. We don't have to feel so embodied, so connected to that subtle energy all the time to get anywhere to accomplish anything. If we just show up a little bit and, and lean into any sensation for a little bit of time that, that makes a difference. And so I try to just hold as much consent and support um, to my clients. But, you know, sometimes we get silly. Sometimes people get sassy with me. Their eating disorder is really raging. And I'm like, ooh, let's roll some eyes. Let's giggle. Let's challenge each other here. Like, you know, I something Jen mentioned before was that it can get really relational. And so uh, mirroring is happening. Like if I see somebody, I might mirror them and see how it relates back and connect to that piece. Um, I mean, obviously the scope of my practice in dietetics is is nutrition 
and body image healing, which that piece overlaps into the therapy um, collaboration. But yeah, I think that scope, there's such a fine line because when you're working with a human being, like how do you separate like Mm -hmm. this piece of trauma is for the therapist and this piece of psychiatrics is for the psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's all in the room. Um, You know, I'm holding space for the safety of of my clients um, to the best of my ability that I am took an oath to do no harm, but I'm a human and we do harm and we do repair and we show up for each other um, mm-hmm. with trust. So whatever it is, let's, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm honored to, for anyone to be vulnerable with me and show up with me and we can, we can get meta, we can get serious, we can get silly. I'm, I'm just, I'm here for all of it. The messy, the cleanup. Um, and yeah, I'm just really interested in in um, centering the uncentered or the outliers and anyone who's felt othered um, because the idea, I just think in, in mental health, because in dietetics, so much of what we do is just mm-hmm. biochemical, right? Like we just, it's so like, sterile and then behavioral health of eating disorders is such a different world um coming into that space I just I hold different like lines of scope of where my scope is based on the collaboration with my team and direction and um you know show up for it all yeah Mm. Mm. For those of you who can't see us, Siobhan and I are sitting here with our hands and our opposite armpits with our thumb over this like very edge of the ligaments and tendons that go from your chest to your arm. And we're just sitting here being regulated, mm-hmm. listening to this. It's really, really good. I am such a nerd for polyvagal things. And I actually never thought of this one before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm just like, this is so, because actually you can, you know, tap into flow in general. Our lymphatic system is also accessible from where our thumbs are sitting yes. right now. So I'm just sort of sitting with like how we can, um, I want to expand my conversations with myself and other people about embodiment for what flows into, through, and out of embodiment. And like, what's like swirling around it as well. It doesn't even go into it. That there's something about the context of embodiment through this example of flow that's sitting with me. So I guess I have another journal topic, Um, but it's just, I don't know. It's sitting with me in a really I love the word safety and how much it's been here Mm -hmm. today, but like, I would say a secure way, a deeper level of safety. Um, it's feeling really nice. Mm. Um, I wanted to just come back to the idea of like, there's no good or bad in where our embodiment is. There's no Mm -hmm. like pathologizing of like dissociating. And yes, we do need to come to the the body and the present moment to care for our nutrition and care Mm. for Mm. our mental and physical health on this plane in the now. Mm. And so that may not be safe for some, for many who are actively in recovering from an eating disorder. And so that flow, like Jen mentioned of like the digestion and the movement of the embodiment is sort of haphazard thinking about like gastroparesis, which is delayed stomach emptying of food as Jen knows um and for those out there 
who don't know, it's really common with eating disorders to have a slow digestion. And so thinking about when your digestion is slow and the energy is moving slow, how, like, where is, where are our emotions and our subtle energy and how do we, like, where, where do they go and how do they get stuck? They don't move. Um, and they're not as fluid and we have to gently stay curious to what is happening so that there is more of a flow so that we can connect to ourselves to be embodied and empowered. Yes. Mm. yes. <laughs> I love that. I love it. I love yeah. all of it. We could literally keep talking about this for hours. Mm -hmm. So Chelsea, I'm curious, would you like to pause here and have a whole nother conversation with us? Yes, I would love that. I'd be honored to join you both and chat more. Thank you for having me today. And I look forward to having deep, rich conversations. I just, I love this space that's um, open, raw, authentic. So to be continued sounds good. Thank you so much. We're Thank you. really, really appreciative. This is great. Thank you. Love it. Okay. <laughs> see you next time. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to season two of the embodiment for the rest of us podcast. Episodes will be published every two weeks ish because let's be real here, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find the podcast at our website, embodimentfortherestofus.com and follow us on social media on both Twitter at embodiment us and on Instagram at Embodiment for the Rest of Us. We look forward to being with you again next time in conversation.